0: Uh, so I want to talk to you about my little trip over to that warm place uh, of Tanzania. And the first thing I want to do is uh, I want to thank everyone who gave to support that trip. Um, those trips are not cheap by, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's nothing that I would have been able to do on my own, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the, uh, for the ability to go. Um, when we have the chance to bless people face-to-face, it's always nice. You know, you get to see them, but there's something about sending a blessing to people who you will probably never meet uh, in a country that you'll probably never set foot in. There's a, there's a uh, there, there's an internal difference when you when you when you hand something to someone. Hey, I want to I want to help you out. I want to bless you. They can actually respond to you, and and you you sort of get this little moment. You know, in in, in exchange, when you send things over to a foreign country, you can't do that. there's a difference that there's something different inside that you're just sending something in the obedience of God because it's just right and there's I think there's a different type of blessing that comes from that so if you were part of the group that uh part of the people who sent who literally sent me over there um you made a difference in people's lives that you probably will never truly understand um but it is amazing when you actually get to see it happening um this was not my first trip to Africa, but it was my first trip to Tanzania. Um, and uh, when I always, when I when I go on a trip like this, when I have a ch- when I have a chance to go anywhere, really, uh, but especially a foreign country, I, I try to always remember Matthew twenty eight. Matthew twenty eight reads: Jesus came and told his disciples uh, verses eighteen through twenty. Came to, told his disciples, "I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this is this is a serious call for all Christians to obey. It's not something that everyone can just, you can't just give up your life and just go. It would be neat if we could all do that, but at some point in time you have to eat, right? Plane tickets cost money, you've got to live somewhere. Um, you know, I'm going to go to Africa and live in a hut. No, you're, trust me, you're not. <laughs> you're just not, Okay. Um, the Africans don't want to do that anymore, okay, just just to point that out. Um, but each one of us is called to fulfill this mission in one way, shape, or form. Every single one of you is called to the Great Commission in one of two ways. You're either going to be one of the people sent, or you're going to be one of the people doing the sending. Very few people have the ability to send themselves, very few, very few people have those kinds of resources. And usually if they have those kinds of resources, they can't just leave forever because they have to do something to maintain that. So typically there's the people that are sent and then there are people who are doing the sending. Both have to exist and both have to rely on one another. If you're the one being sent, you have to trust that the support that is going to, supposed to be with you is gonna be there. And if you're the one doing the sending, you have to trust that the person that you're sending is gonna do what God wants them to do. So there's a mutual relationship that has to exist in that. And sometimes you may be the person sending, and sometimes you may be the one that is sent. And sometimes that role may flip-flop back and forth multiple times. You may go once, and you may be someone who can help s- send someone the next time. And that's okay. We can't all go. I mean, I-, I-, I talked to quite a few people before I left and after I got back, and they boy, I wish I could have gone. I wish I could have gone, but I had this stupid job. <laughs> That job is not stupid. That job probably enabled me to be able to go. You you see what I mean? There's a role that we all play in this process of bringing the gospel to the world. It's not just one person. The challenge is to find comfort in whatever that role is for you at the time. One day it may be sending. Another day it may be going. It's okay. Trust that God knows what he's doing because he does. He does way more than we do. Now, I'm going to get back to this verse later, but right now I want to, I want to show you some pictures and, and, and talk about some of the craziness going on in this, uh, in this trip. But one of the things I want you to think about as I'm, as I'm kind of walking through this, I've got this little table up here, and I've got, I got some stuff. And, um, you know, so I, I brought back these. So you've got to forgive me, some of the tusks broke, th- broke off. Apparently baggage handling isn't as delicate as I would have expected. Um, but these are all hand-carved ebony uh, and it's, it's pretty neat. It's a pretty, pretty easily findable wood over, or where that is. And, uh, I went to the artisan shop where they actually make these. So they sell them in the front and they actually let me go in the back. And you'll see some of the pictures of the guys literally hand carving these. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't know that some, some of you may go, oh my gosh, but one guy's like got his shoes off and he's like holding it steady with his feet and he's like scraping it with his, with this really sketchy chisel that was, you know, and I, I mean sketchy, sketchy chisel. Um, but he 's probably used it to carve thousands of these little things, um, and there, and they, all of these were made there, and they all have a purpose uh, they all mean something within the country. Um, this one is actually a depiction of three main things that happen in Africa. The top one is the elephant, which is what Tanzania tends to be known for. Uh, this one is one the bottom one is one tribe whose name i can 't remember um, and uh, and i don 't want to f- just toss something out because it'll be horrible. Um, and the bottom one is the Maasai tribe, which is the main tribe in Tanzania. And they are ferocious people. They have no fear at all. We were told a story when we got there of uh, some, uh, the, the Maasai are cattle farmers and they're basically, they graze and uh, some cows got, got eaten by, uh, by a lion. They got torn up and a lion will kill a bunch of things and only eat one. And that, and that's not cool. Uh, for them, so a group of these Maasai decided to go get this lion, and they all just took spears. <laughs> no, no, um, and they uh, they found the lion, but unfortunately, these these guys uh, found the whole pride. They lost. They didn't. But the funny thing is, they didn't. Funny thing, yeah, right. It ripped to pieces and eaten by a bunch of big cats. You know, uh, <laughs> this is why I don't like cats. Just the way it is. <laughs> They didn't run when they knew that when they knew where they were. the the, the, the idea of the story is they knew what the, the what was happening, but they still wanted that lion. So they still went went after a pride of lions with pointy sticks. No, thank you. Um, I'll go at it with little pieces of lead from a distance. <laughs> That'll be fine. Um, but they are they are they're the people you don't mess with because they the, the funny thing is that the, the there's three types of Messiah. There's the ones that live in the bush. They never come into the city. They don't even speak Swahili. Most of the, most of the Tanzanians can't even understand them. They just have that, the same life they've had forever. Those are the ones with zero sense of humor. None. And then there's the ones who live in the bush but work in the city. And then there's the ones who live and work in the city. But they're all part of the same tribe. And the ones who live in the work, live and work in the city have much more of a sense of humor and mostly about their relatives who still live in the bush. And, and they'll tell you, that's really funny to me. It would not be funny to my uncle. Like, good to know, okay, this is how you stay alive in tanzania so it 's pretty neat the way this this works, and I brought some money I brought i hope you 're ready for this thirteen thousand shekels. I just had an extra thirteen grand laying around. It was nice uh, it 's about five bucks. <laughs> the exchange rate is twenty three hundred to one uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I cashed in uh, five hundred dollars to, to to use there, and I got one point two million or something like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Talk about craziness, you know. Um, but something you learn really quickly is that uh, the average daily wage in Tanzania is ten thousand. Sh- uh, sh- I'm sorry, shillings. I said shekels. It's shillings, um, and uh, so it's ten thousand shillings a day. Uh, the average government worker will make three hundred thousand shillings a month, so three point six million. A year, that is the equivalent of sixteen hundred American dollars. Yeah, it's a very, very different lifestyle. Um, so you, you you learn to understand kind of where these people come from. There's a there's a degree of poverty that exists there that they don't even know. They've been so poor for so long they don't know they're poor. But they know that when the white people come, they can charge more. <laughs> it's called skin tax lighter your skin the more you pay um and you can get offended by that or you can realize that uh, i I went to a store to buy a cable i had forgotten to bring a cable with me and i was lucky to find one and the lady said ten thousand and and it was just just a little you know little headphone cable and i could have been like three and and i would have gotten it but i'm thinking that's four dollars and eighty cents uh, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay. Here you go. You know, this is great. You know, I gave someone a tip of 5,000 shillings and the lady just about fell over because she, she owned a store and she didn't have change. She had just opened for the day and she didn't have change for the day. And I, and I actually bought this coffee that I'll explain later and it was 4,500 and I only had a 10,000 with me. And she's like, uh, oh, and I said, keep the change. And she knew what that meant. She didn't know any other English words, but she knew what keep the change meant. She's like, Oh yeah, gave me a big hug and then I and then I left and I was like, I think I just made her day. Uh, with two dollars. I, I, I can't get a Starbucks coffee for that. You know? Actually, I don't know if I can get a Stewart's coffee for that. I mean, that's just that's that's nuts. Um The small ones are just not worth it. (laughs) Why kill a tree for a small coffee? Get a big one. You know. Uh, So the organization that we went over with is called PEFa, Pentecostal Evangelistic Fellowship of Africa, Um, and it is a. uh, So in uh, Tanzania is a socialist country. There are three big countries in that part of Africa theres um, there's Uganda, Kenya, and t- Tanzania and there was a big rebellion at one point in time, and all of them found their freedom. Uganda was taken over by a warlord and that's where a lot of the genocides came from. Kenya became a democracy they're probably one of the most prosperous countries in that in that part of the world and Tanzania became a socialist country and so um, the socialist country is uh, the way they run it is the president is only t- serves for five years, so they would have a Christian president. Uh, one five-year term, and then a Muslim president in the other five-year term. And then they kind of go back and forth between that uh, to, to make sure that no one religious group has more power in government than they, than they should, um, which doesn't necessarily work out as much as you think. So, But in order to be a, uh, a Christian organization inside of a predominantly Muslim country, you have to have an NGO. Um, you, have to, you have to organize as a, uh, uh, as a group. So the churches in Tanzania all figured this out. It's a, uh, you have strength in numbers. So PEFa has over a thousand churches throughout Tanzania. They have a, they have a lot of pull in the country, which actually came in very handy for us later um, when we almost ended up in jail. Um, so almost, almost, it wasn't. It wouldn't. You know, it would have been kind of cool, but you know, it would have made it for a good story. But uh, uh, you know, I'm okay not not having that experience. Um, so the the gentleman who uh, who runs. Uh, uh, Pefa is, his name is Eli Rahema. And he's the one person I didn't get a picture of. Like I I literally took like 500 pictures while I was there. For some reason, I did not get a picture of him. So, uh, next time, um, uh, in case you're wondering what he looks like, he's really big and black. So you'll actually see him on a video in a little while. Uh, he's got a tremendous sense of humor and he took over the organization and he started, uh, the the Bible school in, in Babadi. Um, now, he runs, he manages this organization, and he, he literally leads 1,000 churches for no pay. They will pay him if he asks for it, but he takes no pay. The re- and it's interesting. The reason he takes no pay is that in Tanzanian churches, a common practice is that the minister is not salaried. They just take whatever they think they need from the offering. Now, that obviously leads to a great deal of abuse. Because some ministers think they need way more than they need. And so he took this over and he refused pay in order to set a precedent that he hoped would carry over to the rest of the country, and it has. He has done a huge amount to reform the organization, and the organization is actually doing better now financially than they ever have. It's amazing when you get someone with a godly mind in, in an organization like this, how well they can really do. Um, it's pretty awesome. Um, so, uh, Ellie has done uh, a lot of work in PEFA and um, he's making a lot, of, uh, lot of, a lot of headway. I'm hoping at some point in time to be able to bring him over to help him raise money for the schools because we can do things that they could never do in country. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll, you'll see more of that later. Uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars from us is, is a life changing event uh, compared to what they can do, what they can do there and what they need, um, which is a lot easier for us to do. So obviously we took off from Syracuse and, uh, uh, then we went to, uh, we went from Syracuse to Detroit because naturally if you're going to go East, you go West first because that's, that's the way airlines think. Uh, and then, so we stopped in Detroit for a few hours and then we stopped in Amsterdam for a really long time. By the time we got to Amsterdam, we had spent more time waiting for a plane than on a plane, which is awesome. Uh uh so and then we had 5 hours to wait in Amsterdam <laughs> which was really great. Um actually the Amsterdam airport was really awesome. They had this Panera bread knockoff called the Amsterdam Bread Company, but it was like Panera bread only snooty. Like you, you go in and the sandwich is smoked salmon and goat cheese, you know. Uh I was like, "Why yes, I will. I <laughs> think this will be great." And they have the most amazing croissants ever. I may have had a couple. Um uh, and then we got on the plane to Amsterdam, um, and then, um, uh, from Amsterdam to Tanzania, they fed us, uh, a couple, they said they fed us a couple times, um, this, yep, um, so that they come through the cabin, and they're like, we have chicken and, and pasta. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. Um, the guy I was, uh, with, Abel, uh, Pastor Larkin's dad, uh, he ordered, um, he ordered the, uh, <laughs> he ordered the pasta, he got beef, um, which was not one of the choices, I, I just want to point out. Um, yeah, uh, uh, and I ordered the pasta and got chicken. Um, so that's, that's chicken. There's chicken in there. I, I know there's chicken in there because I found a piece. Um, uh, and I just want you to know that the roll was delicious. <laughs> the roll was really good and the, the Coke was exactly what you'd expect. Um, so it was, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty neat. So, uh, 24 hours after leaving Syracuse, we landed safely in Kilimanjaro, uh, which was the airport that is the main, uh, the main international airport there. Uh, and then we spent the next hour or so in a line in immigration, uh, waiting to get our passport stamped and to prove that we didn't have COVID. So before I went, I had to take a, uh, I had to take a COVID test, not one of the ones you get at home, the ones at at a, at a clinic. And I had a little piece of paper that said, "No, you didn't have COVID." So I took I took the stupid test. I I, I got the I printed the paper off. I put everything together. I go I, I go into Tanzania, and and like they're on the website, they're like, "If you do not have this paper." We will throw you on a plane back to wherever you came from. And you're just like, oh, I, I need to have this piece of paper. This is this is so serious. I got there, and we walk up to this line. And there's this huge set of cubicles that everyone is sitting in. And I walk up to the one, and the guy's like, and I and he didn't speak any English. And I handed him the paperwork, and it was obvious he didn't read it either. I just handed it to him. He looked at me, took my temperature with a little ray gun. Handed it back, smiled, and I left. I'm like, really? I could have printed this at a home. <laughs> this could be a Word document, you know, with like, negative written across, and he wouldn't have noticed. It's important to remember that for next time. So we get there and um, so Tanzania is a a relatively good sized country it's in it's in the southern horn of Africa um, uh, on the uh, on the west on the east coast and so we flew into uh this area uh, in Kilimanjaro uh, in an area called Moshi and uh most of us don't really have an idea how big Africa is um, so we went we traveled from there all the way down to Babati in an area called Manyara uh, now the guy I traveled with is a Spanish teacher, and when he kept saying maniara, I thought he kept saying "manana," and I was like, "Why are you telling these people tomorrow?" I, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. But finally, I read the map, and I was like, "Manyara!" Ah, I can be taught. So we get off the plane, and we get get in a car, and we head that that way. And it doesn't look like it's too big, right? It's too 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 big of a distance. Uh, that was four hours, uh, three and a half hours. Uh, that was a long trip, um, but. Most people, when you think about Africa, um, you tend to think of the countries like states in the United States. That, that's how that's how uh, when I talk to people, that's how a lot of people relate to them. Like, you know, it's kind of like you know our, our our bigger states and everything. N- no, n- not even remotely close. Um, so when you when you think about it, that's the region. Uh, uh, the The circled part up there is the Serengeti National Park. Okay, uh, and it's just this little tiny piece of the nation, you know, up in, the, up in the northern area. That is the size of the Adirondack Park, 9,500 square miles. That, that, that's a big park. When you think about how, how large, when you get it, to, and it's, it's important when you take a trip like this to try to get an understanding of the mindset of the people who are there. Because we can go over with an American mindset and it's not cool because it, it, will, it will mess things up in your trip. So when you start to think about a country this size, and this is one of the larger countries in Africa. The Serengeti National Park region, when you think about the, the game reserve that's with it, and then there's another, um, that, that whole little, little grayed out area is, is the Serengeti Park. There's this uh, uh, other area called Ungor-Ngoro. It's a crater that you can go visit. Next time I'll be able to, to, to go. We were quite a bit away from it this time. Um, New York State is 54,500 square miles. That's that's the whole state. Tanzania is 364,900 square miles. You could put New York in Tanzania seven times. Yeah. They have more square miles of national park than New York State as a whole. This is a big country. It is a big, big country. Now... The population of the country, you think about the size of it in relationship to Africa, is pretty small. There's only 62 million people in that country. There are 20 million people in New York. So they're seven times our size, but only three times our population. You start thinking about the, the, the density of population, and there's a reason for that. Um, nearly 40% of Tanzania is farmable land. Think about that. Nearly 40% of that, that nation is farmable land. Uh, but they still have to import food. And it's because of the way that they grow things. Only 20% of New York is farmland. The average acre in New York produces two and a half times as much as the average acre in Tanzania. Two and a half times as much. And when you think about this on an agricultural basis, we produce so much more on so much less land that we actually are able to sell food to other countries. Tanzania technically is agriculturally independent. Technically, they're supposed to be able to grow enough food to sustain themselves, but they don't. They still have to import massive amounts of their own food. So you have a nation that has the ability to support itself, but doesn't. And most of it is because they don't believe they can. The majority of the farms in Tanzania are subsistence farms, which means they only grow food for themselves. Now, the funny thing is, when they grow that food, they do not grow food for animals. You you do not grow food to feed to an animal. Every animal, now imagine that you guys with the the, the dairy farms and your cattle farms, if you had to graze all of your cattle 100% of the time. Now a big cattle farm over there is like 20 cows. You have 20 cows. You're loaded. So I was talking to them and I mentioned a little bit about the kennel farm uh, and I, I said, uh, "So I have some. I have some friends who work on a farm, and if I'm not mistaken, they have about 1,200 cows." And the guy was like, "Oh, two hundred. I'm sorry, two hundred or 1,200. said It's about 1,200. You can't say 1,200 because they don't know what you're talking about. You have to you have to break it up into to, to different words. And when they get <laughs> when they get really surprised or shocked, they'll either uh, sort of like like high pitched moan or whistle. It's it's actually really funny. At first, you're like not sure what happened. You're like, did you just deflate? <laughs> yeah, I think I popped him. You know. And if they're really surprised, they'll do both. We're like, woo! And they ask the same thing: How much land do they own? How do you graze that many cattle? Well, no, a lot of the corn they grow, they feed to animals. You feed perfectly good corn to a cow. So yeah, it's cow corn. It's not. It's different. It's not like here. Now, if you drive by, they 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 plant corn. They plant a lot of corn in Tanzania. If you drive by one of their one of their fields, if you take the average field that you see around here, you take out every other row and every other plant, you have a Tanzanian field. That's essentially what you have. I mean, because they're hand harvested or they're hand-planted. There's very little technology over there. They're very, very resistant to uh, to bringing in machinery to do the farming because they're worried they'll put people out of work. 75% of the country is employed agriculturally. 75% of the country is in agriculture. But now you think they have three growing seasons a year. It's not like here. You know, You don't get the seeds in as fast as you can before everything freezes. But at the same time, only 25% of the land is actually farmed every year. Out of the 40% that is actually farmable, only, only 25% is farmed. And only 15% of the farmers use fertilizer. So you think of how low the yield is. And I mean very low. Um, there's only a couple of, agri- of uh, uh, commercial farms in the entire country. Everything else is just local farms. And so if you bring in a piece of machinery, you run the risk of putting people out of work. And so I'll show you a picture of some of, the, some of the tractors and stuff that you see over there. And, like, I'll show you the pictures, the big ones. But I was there. I mean, I know nothing about farming. I know enough to know that, I'm, I, that I don't know. But I know enough to be able to spot some things. I went by a farm store where they sell tractors and stuff. And they, to me, they look like lawnmowers. You know, but these are, these, are, you know, these are agricultural tractors. And they had a new implement there. It was a disker. had three discs on it. It wasn't as wide as the tractor. It actually went between the back wheels. And they're like, this is life-changing! It's like, I don't know anyone who would waste the time to hook that up. (laughs) No! It's like, are you kidding? You know how much gas for burning for three? No, no, sorry. So I showed him a picture of one of Walt's tractors. the, The big articulated one with the blade on it. That had a lot of moaning and whistling. Because Woo! 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 it had a person standing next to it, you know, and they're like, that's a person. So little. I'm like, no, no, the person's not little. <laughs> Tractor big. <laughs> it's like, well, and then they asked me, how do you feed that thing? <laughs> what they mean was how much gas does it burn? <laughs> you know, it's like. Like, and they're like, I, 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 we couldn't afford the diesel for that. And I was like, don't worry about it, it's fine. So, this is um, a, a very typical scene uh, everywhere. All of the animals are grazed. And they, if you own a property, they may be grazed on your front lawn. And you don't say anything because you may need whatever it is, you may need one of those animals to eat later. So, you just let them eat whatever it is that's going on. Now, the tractor that you see up there, that is the biggest tractors you're going to find in that country. I mean, these are like, it takes 15 to 20 farms to come together to buy one of these tractors. And throughout the year, they'll like share it as things go around. Uh, It's pretty amazing uh, to to see it. But uh, when when you think about the difference in what they could be producing versus what they're not producing. So they're worried about putting people out of work, but an enterprising person understands that in order to actually bring new work, you have to release people from the physical burdens. And that's what the machinery does. But they're not there yet. And the danger is American missionaries have tried to come in and enforce American agricultural processes on the Tanzanians, and not, they're not ready for it. They don't understand it. So, so we go into the world, and we bring our mindset instead of trying to make disciples where, where they are, and, and we run into problems. Um. They should be able to support themselves, but they can't. Uh, it is believed by a lot of the people that I read online that if the sub-Saharan continents, the Tanzania and other ones, actually got their act together about their farming, they could feed the world and become extraordinarily wealthy. Like just I mean like overnight. But the problem is it's a it's a socialist country. And What I found while I was there, and this is an important thing to know about the mindset of the people, is that when you get too successful, the government will step in to squash you. Even to the point where people don't keep money in their bank anymore, because if you keep money in the bank and your bank account gets too big, well, you have more than your neighbor, so the government will come in and do what's called a VAT tax, and they will just take money out of your account because you have too much money. You're doing too well. Could you imagine that? See, because in countries like this, the last thing you want... A a dictator always wants to eliminate three things in the life of of people. They don't want you to be able to think for yourself, provide for yourself, or protect yourself. When you find a government trying to remove those three things, you know you're moving from a democracy to a dictatorship. I, I think America needs to relearn this lesson. So they have convinced the people there to be subservient to the government and that the government will provide whatever they need. But the government always provides enough so that everyone is equally poor. You see, and if we move in and try to change that mentality, that's when you end up in jail and deported because now you're teaching people to be resistant to the state. You you see how that can turn so quick? We just think that this would be normal. It's not. It's not. It's very abnormal. And you have to be careful what you do. So this was a three and a half hour drive later. After we got off the airport, we arrived at the Silver Park Luxury Hotel at 1:30 a.m., uh, where I was pampered for two weeks. Just pampering again. Yeah, they had spa, you know. No, they didn't. Um, uh, about half the time we had power, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, but the hotel was was actually really nice. The hotel was really good. Um, the uh, uh, this was the fourth highest rated hotel in the uh, in the region uh, and it, it was good my room had an air conditioner in it occasionally it worked uh, you know uh, I, had, I had a shower and uh, you know and you have I, I took so the the staff there was really great at the last day everyone wanted their picture taken with the white guys because um, because we tipped them it was really awesome um, now I don't know anyone's name except for one person up there because they wouldn't tell you their names over there, you, they, they don't just say hi. I'm Bob. That's not what they what they do. They, the, the name relationship is like saved for later on down the road. I learned one girl's name. This girl over here, her name is Sarah. She was at the front desk, and only because somebody else was calling her name one day. And I was like, "Aha! I found you!" <laughs> but they were all wonderful. Um, uh, just, just, just great. Just a great staff. Um, but there's this. So I found this picture. Uh, outside the hotel in the, in, the, in the parking lot. And I only took a picture of this because now in the bottom, you see where it says self-contained rooms with TV. If you ever go to Africa, this is a very important thing to know. The self-contained room means you have a bathroom that you don't have to share with everybody else in the hotel. So it's very, very important if you like any privacy at all. That you get these self-contained bed, uh, uh, bedrooms. Now the other thing I, I, I laughed at when I saw this, that sign is a complete and total lie. <laughs> Everything, the, so like this lie, oh look at our rooms. The rooms look nothing like that! That shows a lawn with like a wedding, a, a wedding setup. They didn't have a lawn! There's no lawn there! You know, there's no kitchen or anything in the rooms. You had a sink and it, and it only had cold water. You know and uh the showers uh but I'll I'll spare you the details but let's say the toilet and the shower are kind of in the same place. Okay? Uh and it's on demand hot water and you you turn it on and like you know the shower head is so old and crusty like four streams of water come out and they're all shooting in the wrong directions, you know. So I sat down one night with a butter knife and I'm like cleaning the shower head, you know, <laughs> just like a, you know <laughs> it's like I want to get wet during a shower, you know. It's uh, it's it, it's it's pretty amazing. But uh, you have to you have to remember, especially over there, they have no desire to tell you the truth about what you're getting. So you have to ask questions. Okay, my room did, however, come with a complimentary set of um, uh, flip flops uh, to, to wear in the shower that you didn't keep. Everyone who was ever there used them, and it was pretty obvious. So I, I brought my own. Thank you, Jesus. So the hotel was also a bed and breakfast. We got up in the morning, and this is a very normal breakfast. Um, these are crepes, uh, uh, fresh fruit, hard-boiled egg that's served hot. Uh, so they were, they were controlled by the British for a long time. So a lot of the names of things carried over, and a lot of the, a lot of the food traditions carried over. Uh, in England, a uh, hard-boiled egg is served hot. It's either a one-minute or a three-minute boil. It's going be, to be one of those things. And so you, you pick up the hard-boiled egg, and we're just thinking like American. You just peel it. No, 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 you're going to burn the snot out of your hand for a couple of minutes while you're trying to get this feeling off. Um. And the crepes are, uh, we would call them crepes, they call them pancakes, okay? Um, and in, uh, now, in, it's interesting, because things in one African country don't necessarily carry over to the next. Uh, these same pancakes you can get in Uganda, the, but they're called chapati. In England, we just call them crepes, you know? In the United States, we just call them crepes. We couldn't, when, when they, he said, I made you pancakes, I was thinking, yeah! And I was like, that's not a pancake, <laughs> Good enough, though. But they had this really awesome date cinnamon jelly that um, had a little, bit of, a little bit of heat to it. Uh, it was really nice. Um, and then every morning, we would have this. Cafe. This was your coffee. Uh, so if you were wealthy, you would have a coffee pot, and they would actually brew you coffee. Um, or you brought the instant coffee, which, to be honest, if anyone wants to try this uh, today after the service, you're welcome to. I'll help you understand how to put it together. This, there's, uh, when you get an American instant coffee, there's like an ingredient list. Of like, you know, anti-clump things and preservatives. This is just powderized coffee bean. There's nothing else in this. And I actually uh, we actually got coffee at the coffee plantation where this is made. So it was like about as fresh as you can get it. And I was very surprised. It was actually quite tasty. Um, and when you didn't have any other option, you enjoyed it. Um, but if you wanted brewed coffee, it was basically just coffee beans in a pot that were boiled. And then it just strained them out afterwards. So the caffeine, so like in, in something like this, the caffeine is almost double because you're not just getting the juice from the coffee water going through the grinds, you're actually eating the grinds as well. So like when you think, oh, this is nice. No, it's like eight ounces of cappuccino or, or espresso. So you, you, you drink the one cup of coffee and the rest of the day you can't blink, <laughs> you know, which which I have to admit, I didn't mind. <laughs> it was kind of nice uh, because the first day we got there, we woke, we we went to bed around two o'clock. We got up at six thirty, and we went to went started going on to a safari. But when you got out in the morning, you'd get down to the cat to the place where you had breakfast. There was this on TV all the time. It was Jumbo Tanzania. Jumbo means hi. How you doing? Hope uh, 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 you know. Uh, uh, good morning. So this was their version of Good Morning America. We didn't understand a word they were saying because there was no subtitles. Uh, well, occasionally there were subtitles, but they were in Swahili. <laughs> it Did not help whatsoever. Um, but you'd get an idea, kind of what was going on, how things were going. They'd give you the weather report for the day and things like that. And the weather report was really like, "White people will die," and that's kind of the way it would. It, it kind of worked out. Um, I just, I just covered myself in sunblock every day. Couple, a couple of days into the trip, one of the one of the guides was like, "You haven't got any color on you at all." I said, "No." <laughs> I have like a protective nothing. Water would just beat up on my skin and run off. You know, it's just it was just it's just awesome. But you know, when you're wearing SPF like 800, it's just fine. Um, But uh, uh, but when you're in a place, most people don't consider this. When you're in an equatorial region, uh, it's it's even though it was only like 86 degrees, it's it's actually a different heat and it's a different sunlight. Most people don't realize this, but we live on a ball, right? The Earth is not flat. Just want to point that out again. We live on a ball. We live like on the top part. So when the sun actually comes to the, to the earth, a lot of the sun's rays actually skip off in, in our area. We get the same amount of light, but we don't get the same amount of light energy. In the equatorial regions, you just get it all. So that's why people like me who really need to avoid, uh, I'm, I'm not supposed to be in the sun for more than 20 minutes a day. <laughs> uh, um, you can get really burned, really bad, really fast if you're not careful because you get 100% of the sun's energy. Um, but it, they're, they're trying to harness that for solar power there, but it's, uh, the government is having a hard time uh, allowing that to happen because that makes people self-sufficient. Self-sufficient people are hard to rule, so they want you to be sufficient on them, so they ration power. Um, so, uh, the, the first morning we went to Terengarry national park. Terengarry is one of the small parks. It's only about 1100 square miles. Uh, if you went through the whole park, it would take four days to to drive through the whole park and you're allowed to actually sleep in the park. They'll take you out there and pitch a tent and everything. Um, but they also warn you that the lions are allowed to go wherever they want. Yep. Um, and there's some people who go in for a safari and they don't come out. Uh, and that's just kind of like, bummer, you know? Uh, that's why you pay the guide up front. <laughs> yeah, when you when you when, when you realize what's going on, you're just like, wait, you want to get paid now because of what? <laughs> uh, and we would go places, and a couple times we saw lions, and the and the guide was like, "Do you want to get closer?" I was like, "No, I have little legs, and I don't run fast." <laughs> so so no, <laughs> you know, there's a rule. If you're going to go hunting lions or bears, bring someone you can outrun. <laughs> it's just just that, and and that's not me. So. So we're there, we're about to go, we're about to go into an eight hour safari, and we just touched a small piece of it. So, uh, I put that uh, at the beginning, um, when you come into the park, they have this, uh, and these are elephant skulls, uh, just to give you an idea of the size of some of the things. Also, to remind, uh, Westerners that part of the legend of the Cyclops came out of Africa, and this is why. Now, the eyeballs on the elephant are not up there, they're, they're off to the side. So that big little pit in the top of their head, Really serves no purpose. It's not there for much of anything other than muscle tissue coming out. Um, so when you see these skulls, the legends of the one-eyed, uh, you know, the one-eyed demon kind of came out of it. Uh, so the like, legends come in come in weird places. But when you look at the bones, if you see the big one at the bottom, you see how honeycombed it is, and that's for weight. So their skull might be six inches thick, but it's not solid bone. So it's kind of neat uh, the way things way things work out. So that is a termite uh, mound. Um, Their termites are pretty serious Uh, they're big big termites Um, so almost everything there is either concrete or metal very few people build with wood um, which makes everything much more difficult uh, from a building standpoint Um, uh, but they uh, in some African countries they'll dump diesel fuel down these and burn them to get rid of the the termites in Tanzania they figured out that they don't want to do that because the Tanzanians bring up all the rich soil from deep uh, uh, the termites bring the rich soil up so they'll take that, when they get big enough, they'll, they'll take that and they'll scoop that out and they'll put it on, put it on farmland or build bricks with it because it's got the, got the most amount of nutrients in it. So they've kind of figured out how to stay in tune with nature. Um, the, uh, the thing you hear from them all the time is the symbiotic relationship between man and country. And they're, they're really, really committed to that. So it's kind of neat. Um, so here's some, some random pictures from the, uh, from the safari. I'll talk a little, about it, little bit about it while it's playing. Um, like I said, it would take four days to drive through the entire park. Um, Now, this was the end of the dry season, so everything was as low as it would possibly be, and most of the water sources were were primarily depleted, so the amount of uh, animal density was actually quite low, but you'd still see herds of tens of thousands of animals. Just, just like moving through the, through the, uh, through the wilderness, uh, tons of elephants. The elephants were just stupid cute. Um, we came up on one where they, the ele- one of the elephants like just had a baby. And you know how like you take your dog outside in the winter and the dog like goes crazy on its back like in the snow and everything It's just like freaking out because it wants to rub itself. Like the, the little baby elephant was doing that in mud. And of course, the guide thinks I'm crazy because I'm going, oh, look how cute that is. That's the little elephant right there. Yeah, that wasn't a normal color. It was just covered in mud. And the thing was like just going nuts, uh, just, just having, a, having a great old time. Um, and uh, the elephant is one of the, one of the main animals throughout Tanzania. It's almost a sacred animal. Um, but uh, the, the best time of the year to go for an American is, is the time of year that I went. It would be our early fall, uh, and it's because the rain starts after that. Now, even though it's not as green as we would like to see it, and it's not necessarily as densely populated with animals as we'd like to see it, if you get there during the rainy season or even after the rainy season, the malaria-carrying mosquitoes are so dense, most people don't even want to be outside. And at night you sleep under a mosquito net, uh, and they save lives. We brought fifteen of them over that would cover basically uh, almost uh, almost a king size bed, so a whole family could could sleep underneath them because they they keep people alive throughout the year. We don't we just think mosquitoes are annoying. Their mosquitoes will kill you, um, and their mosquitoes are in, insane. Like not I like I joked about this with Samantha, but I'm not kidding. One was flying around at night. I swatted it with a uh, with a flip flop. It landed on the floor. Got up, shook it off, and flew away you know and i 'm thinking i'm i'm sorry what just happened you know it's like it's flying away like i'm bringing my friends back you're mean you know it's like uh you do whatever you want sir <laughs> they're they're insane um and so while we're going through this uh where uh, uh we find this this tree. And they stop at the tree, and they're like, you want to get a picture of, your, uh, of yourself inside this tree? So this tree actually grew this way. It wasn't hollowed out. It was, a, it was a genetic issue, and it actually grew with a big cavern on the inside of it, so it's become a tourist trap. Uh, so everyone wants to get their, their picture taken in there. And the guy goes, would you like to get your picture taken inside the tree? And I said, of course. I've always wanted to be a Keebler elf. <laughs> now, you laugh. He had no idea what I was saying. So, like, I'm laughing, Sam Larkin's laughing, and they're trying to figure out what was so funny, and I'm in the middle of, like, an 85, 90-degree day trying to explain what a Keebler elf is to an African tour guide who doesn't speak English. He laughed, but I'm pretty sure he was just being kind. Yeah, when I was trying to explain to him that there are little elves who live in trees and make cookies, he was like... So they can be very, very literal. So basically he was like, why would you bake cookies inside of a tree? You could catch the tree on fire. <laughs> you know, like the language barriers are, are really, are just really interesting. You know, I was, I was telling Samantha that some of the things that you think, that like, you know, like here there's a, a, a expressions like, you know, you just drop it like it's hot, you know, right? And they would be like, of course you would, it's hot. Why would you hang on to it if it's hot? Of course you would drop it. And you're just like, so what do you mean by that? You're thinking, obviously nothing. <laughs> obviously, I'm just showing how dumb we really are, you know. And how, so it's it's very interesting. But this this particular tree, um, it's it's uh, uh, more commonly known as a baobab uh, tree. They just call it a bobo. Uh, and these trees hold water. So during the really really dry times of the year, these will hold ten to twenty thousand gallons of water. Uh, now, some of you probably have baobab powder in your house for, for, for uh, health reasons. It's actually a very healthy um, uh, supplement. You'll add it to different things. Um, and this is where they come from. But they're sacred trees to the Tanzanians. So if you want to cut one down, you have to find the village elders and sacrifice a goat. I'm not kidding. Because you gotta, you got you to appease the, the, the spirits. Um, it's kind of interesting. Now, the largest boabab tree that ever been recorded was 50 meters around and 30 meters tall. That's a big tree. That's a big tree. Um, so uh, this is what they call a Christmas tree. We were driving around a few times, and the guide, guide was talking about this. He said, oh, yeah, it's a Christmas tree. I was like, that's not a Christmas tree. And I was like, can you explain what you mean by that? Uh, and he says, oh, this only blooms at the end of November and December. And at the end of December, it will, the flowers will go away, and they won't come back till the next year. And I said, well, that's interesting. He says, yes, it's a reminder of all of us that Jesus brings newness of life. I thought, we got the right guide, you know, that's just fantastic, and they're really, really pretty. Um, so the landscape there is just breathtaking. Uh, I took all these pictures and downloaded any of them from the Internet. Um, every picture you see is one that I actually took. So um, it's, it's beautiful, but it's also very harsh. It is a, an extremely unforgiving land. We look at it, because, and we can find the beauty in it because we get to go home, but it's just the backyard for most of these people. A lot of the dirt is volcanic. It's very red, heavy clay that doesn't even hold water. You pour a bottle of water in it, it just disappears. It doesn't make mud. Um, but the plant life is just its just really... Uh, I, 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 I looked at it as a beautiful desolation. Um, but they have lots of problems. Their biggest problem is water bottles. Uh, there's recycling in the country, but to get money, you have to collect so much. It, it, you'd lose money bringing them in. It's not by the bottle, it's by the weight. And so we, everywhere you go, and I mean everywhere, there are thousands and thousands of bottles just smashed across the road. And during the wet seasons, when the water really rushes over the land, basically it'll funnel all these bottles into, uh, into areas. And every now and then the prisoners will come and, and, and clean it up, but the locals could care less. You know? the, but the funny thing is, if you bring a plastic bag into the country, they'll fine you. But you can throw 800 plastic bottles out the window. No one gives a rip. It's it's very interesting. Um, But they're they're literally everywhere. And and we took a couple of walks from the hotel up to the city, uh, just a couple of miles, um, and you you see all kinds of different things. The lady in this picture at the bottom by the table, you can barely see her. She's selling breakfast roadside. and She's selling eggs and pancakes. And people will come up on their little motorcycles and their little, little carts, and they'll stop and grab something to eat and go. And, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, everywhere you go, there's someone selling something. I mean, everywhere. Um, so I found a truck. It made me feel so big. <laughs> this was owned by a welder in the, in the, in the, village. And when I asked him if I'd get a picture of it next to his truck, he was like, why do you want to get a picture next to my truck? And then when I stood next to it, he got it and he started, he was laughing pretty hard. Um, yeah. You know, he just, he's like, you small too! <laughs> so this is a common construction vehicle that's not that's not a three-wheeler that someone altered these are made in india Uh, they're only a couple thousand dollars and i want one they're so cool so it's a little three-wheeler with a dump trailer they're everywhere they also this is also a very common uber uh you know they're just, just taxis they'll take you anywhere um, every like every other person owns a motorcycle, but they're all like 150, so they really don't go anywhere very fast. You know, it's like a, it's like a very large moped, um, and that's a cab. Okay, um, it is as sketchy as it looks, it is as scary as it looks, um, it is essentially a fat moped, um, and that when you get two people in it, it lets you know that you're really pushing your luck if you want to get there alive. Um, there's no key start. There's this little handle. Down by the, down by the floor, you turn the gas on, you go, and, and you start it, and the people in the back are sitting on the motor. So you get to, you get a ride wherever you're going, a little butt massage. It works out pretty good. Um, whether you ask for it or not, there it is. Um, I took a ride in one just because, and it was, it was, the guy, the guy probably thought it was crazy, because I was laughing the whole time. Because in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna die! (laughs) Uh, you know, because you're doing all of 25 miles an hour, and you're on the right, you're on the, you're on the other side of the road. So everything looks wrong, but no one stays there. Everything just kind of weaves in and out. You know, we're heading back to the hotel, and all of a sudden this tractor trailer is like, <laughs> just around, you're just like, he, he doesn't see us. <laughs> you know, it's going to be fine, um, you know. So it was it, it was pretty neat. Now, almost all the tractor trailers you're going to find in that country are going to be this type of truck, little snub nose, geared really low, doesn't go very fast, made for pulling, um, not, not speed. Uh, but that is a tractor trailer pulling two gas trucks, uh yes. Yes. That's an airbag. No, that's that you, you laugh, but that's that's what you find out. That is in case something smashes into them. Um he's pulling two gasoline tankers. Two! They're going really slow. Um they were just like you don't do that in the states. Like no? <laughs> you are nuts. But I asked, I showed them a picture of a typical tractor trailer, like a big, you know, a, 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 a Big Mac or something here, a Big Mac. <laughs> Whatever, I'm so hungry. Uh, so <laughs> they're looking at it and they're thinking, oh my gosh, why would anyone want something that big? Because they have no idea. You know, they have, they have no idea um, what you can. Uh, this is a boat that we took out on the, on the river when we were looking for whippos. That's a hippo. Um, uh, it is as sketchy as it looks, and it was full of water when we went to it when we first got there. So, first thing that the guides did when we went out on the on the water was bail it out. Um, and so, like I'm having a blast because I can swim. <laughs> uh, the two guys paddling couldn't swim, and the the uh, the interpreter that was with us, Manuel, he's uh, uh, the, the guy behind Sam Larkin. He couldn't swim either, and he's a Maasai, and uh, he kept saying like all the time as as we're going through, it's like Maasai do not swim, Maasai do not swim. And I said, what are we going to do if this thing tips over? And he says, die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to hold my camera over my head, and I'm going to swim to the shore. That's what I'm going to do. He's like, you like water? I'm like, yes. Yeah, talking to him about the St. Lawrence River, and he was just like, he just said, no. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Um, and a lot of the food was pretty pretty neat. That is not frog legs. I just want to point that out. Everyone who's looked at this so far has been like, is that frog legs? No, that's fish. They kept telling me that was tilapia. <laughs> I've cooked tilapia thousands of times in my life and I was like, that is not tilapia. Um, it was just some base, some big white, uh, white fish that they have, have in the, one of the local lakes and it had bones in it like you wouldn't imagine. Uh, they're just, just huge bones, but it was delicious. It was really good. Almost everything there was cooked in sesame oil because sesame, um, uh, um, uh, Ces- sunflowers are, uh, are uh, sunflower oil. Did I say sesame oil? Yes, I did. It's sunflower oil. Um, sunflowers are a huge crop there. So they do, uh, they do quite a bit. And everything is cooked in it, but they feed you a ton. Um, and this is something called, I was told I had to taste. It was called ugali. Yeah, I know. It's as weird as it sounds. Like ugali. Uh, they were like, you've never had anything like it. It's white corn polenta is, is, is all it is. As soon as I tasted it, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what this is. Like, no, you don't. Yes, I do. And then I got food poisoning, which was awesome. Um, four days before we flew home. So I spent four days eating crackies. I was a crackhead for four days. I ate this and, uh, 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 and some um, beef jerky that I brought with me. Uh, and that's basically I was not willing to get sick again before getting on the plane because whatever happened to me, somewhere in the middle of the night, my body hit the emergency eject button. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> it was a long night and I was like, this is not happening on the plane, man. <laughs> that bathroom is way too small. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, it was quite interesting. So we get to, uh, we get to Kiongozi where the school is. Uh, this is Sunday service. There. So they uh, they celebrate quite a bit, um, but it's different. It, it, you find that in most oppressed countries where Christianity is suppressed, the worship tends to be much more animated. Um, and the way they look at it, and this is, not, this is not me putting words in their mouth, is that we have to celebrate today because we might not be alive tomorrow. Uh, we were told a couple of times that the immigration officers may come down to the service and if they see us being part of it, teaching or preaching or anything like that, that they'd haul us away. Uh, they never actually showed up because we, we, we took care of that. Um, um, having someone who manages a thousand churches in the country speak up for you at the immigration office was a good thing. Um, so it was important. But if you look here, there's their drummer. If you notice the sticks... They're just sticks. He made those before he came. That's kind of normal. Most of the drum kit is welded together because they don't have the, the connection pieces. Um, and every, day after, every, every Sunday after service, no matter how big the church is, they all go out the door, shake everyone's hand until everyone is outside, and they say goodbye to everyone, then everyone goes home. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but it's tradition, and, and, and just like a lot of the traditions here, you see that they do it not necessarily because they want to, they do it because it's expected. And so you may not know this, but you helped build this facility. This facility went up last year. We sent money to the to the organization to help them build this. This is the school building, offices, and dormitories. Um, this is the bathroom. So eventually it will be eight bathrooms and showers, because the toilet and the shower is in the same spot. Um Now, four of them are done, two men's, two women's, and uh that's what the inside of it looks like. Uh, and no, they didn't make a mistake. That is what it looks like. So think it through. <laughs> yeah, some people are just like, I'm just going to eat Imodium the entire time I'm there, and I'll go to the bathroom after two weeks when I get home. Yeah, not a good idea, but it is a plan. Um Yep uh yeah it was uh but this was the private bathroom this was the nice one the ones that i showed you that were outside did they didn't look this nice just to point that out but it was normal for them this is the kitchen they just lit a fire on the floor put rocks around it put pot on top of the rocks and that's how they cooked um and the ladies dorm was the one on the uh, uh on the left this is where the men slept the pastors who came for the classes they would come and stay for a month. So they slept on the floor on these little mattresses. Now, when we got there, we realized that there was the ability to make beds, uh, metal bunk beds, but they're difficult to make. So what we did is uh, Sam, Sam Larkin and I got together, and we took some of the money that we brought over, and we paid this man, Andrew, to make 24 beds out of steel. So part of the money that you sent over was to make beds for the people at the school. Uh, and it cost $2,000 to make 24 bunk beds all out of steel, handmade. Uh, all the people who make stuff are called fundis. So if you're a fundi, you, you, you just... So he was a welder fundi. And he was really good at his job. Um, and uh, he made them for $174 US each. Uh, this is one of the other rooms in the church, but the uh, uh, uh unfinished rooms. And what I want to show you, you see the food on the floor. That's where they stored their food. Bags of grain and, and maize and, and cornmeal and beans and things like that. And they were all full of bugs. But that... See, we look at it and we're like... Wah! To them, it's just like... You know, it's not going to eat a lot. (laughs) You know, there's still plenty there. Um, These um, are sun-dried minnows. Um, So, if you ever go to Tanzania and someone asks you if you want ugali samaki, remember that. Ugali samaki. Samaki is fish. And what they do is when they're boiling the cornmeal, they throw the dehydrated fish in it. And then adding protein to the oogali. And it makes oogali way more (laughs) oogali. So they showed me the bag before they put it in, and all I could see were little eyeballs staring back at me. (laughs) You may want to try stuff like this if you ever go to a place like that. I'd just, I just like to point out one thing. It's not worth it in the long run. <laughs> okay? It's just not. And for sometimes, it's not worth it in the short run. Okay? <laughs> Remember what the bathroom looked like. Really important. One of the days, I turned my hotel room into a guitar repair shop and brought some of their guitars back from the dead, which they were very grateful for. Um, because uh, they don't have repair shops and stuff over there. So when they found out that I could do it, I mean like broken necks and things like that. So there was there was quite a bit of work that we ended up doing. Uh that was my class. Uh we met every day for around eight hours. Um, we went through the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And uh, uh it was it was pretty neat. So when <laughs> come here, Joe. So when you meet one of the guys over there, they shake your hand. When they shake their hand your hand, it looks like this. Okay. And that's pretty normal. And with, for Americans, they'd come to you and they would be like, thank you, teacher, thank you, teacher. But there's one guy in the class who I loved. He was my favorite. He asked all the questions. He, he was just a good guy. And he would come up to me like this. He'd be like, "Ma teacher, my teacher. <laughs> he was so excited. Thanks, John. <laughs> yep. I wasn't ready for it the first time, but after that, it became, it became pretty good. <laughs> This is during the class if they get tired, they'll all stand up and they'll sing just to wake themselves up. Now, something to think about that is if you're ever in here and I'm preaching and you're getting tired and you're nodding off, I recommend you just standing up out of nowhere and singing. No? All right. I'm just, just saying. So that was the whole class. Now, um, uh, something that's interesting in here, we're, even, we're in Africa, there are four women in this class. They're all pastors. The way they look at it is really simple. When they look at American churches who don't want women to be involved in significant levels of ministry, they look at it and they don't understand it because they say, uh, they, they look at it basically, uh, and I, I really appreciate this, they say, there's so much work to be done and so many men aren't willing to do it. Why would you turn a woman down? What, an, what a phenomenal view to have in there, you know? There's so much work to be done. Why would you turn away a well someone who wants to do it? And so we uh um part of what you bought uh, uh with the money that you sent over with me are bricks. This is 3000 bricks being delivered. We bought them 6000 more before I left. They cost about a million shillings, <laughs> which was about $450. Um we had a couple of visitors show up. Uh, I'm, I, 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 I'm sorry that I'm taking so long. I didn't mean this to, this to go so long today, but I want to uh, uh, quickly run through these. We had some kids um, uh, show up at the at the church one day while we were teaching. Uh, it was in between sessions. Uh, these kids had never seen themselves on a camera before. Never. Now, the first kid showed up, and he looked at my phone, when I was about to take a picture. He lost his mind, laughing like crazy, ran off, grabbed his siblings, and came back. And they were like, look, he can steal your soul! You know, it's like... <laughs> It's pretty neat. And then we had some puppies come by. I pet the puppies and gave them a little beef jerky, and all my class, uh, that everyone in the class, thought I was losing my mind because you don't have pets there; you have working animals there. There's no such thing as a pet. Um, and so we got back on a plane, headed home. Uh, I just want you to know that thing in the bottom is in the Amsterdam airport. That is a pulled pork sandwich. That was a highlight of my trip home. I was, I was so happy to see that, uh, and a Starbucks, of course. That was also at the, at the airport. It was, it was, it was wonderful. I didn't even care if I got sick at that point. Um, and this is probably one of my favorite pictures that I took on the way home. This is from the airplane. That light you see at the bottom is the Nile. All the cities along the Nile, and it's the Big Dipper kind of hanging vertically right above it. And that was from the plane. It was, it was pretty neat. Um, last thing to think about is this, uh, that when you think about this verse, uh, as Christians, it's a lot less about going than it is about what you're leaving. And this is this is really the, the thing that I want that I walked away from, um, and, and, and it's important. I learned it the first time I went to Africa. It's important to know when you go to a nation like this. Even here, you go to a neighboring town or another state or another county. It's not the going; it's what you intend to leave. And if you intend to leave your ideology, your viewpoints, the way that you live your life, especially in a third world country, you will, will fail in the ministry of the gospel. Because it's not about bringing the, gospel, the American gospel to these people. It's about bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people in their setting, in their life, learning how to figure out how they live, what they do. One of the things that I think, in, uh, I connected with people very, very quickly. And one of the reasons was I asked them about their life. What do you like to eat? Where did you go to school? What's your what's your what kind of music do you love? You know what is what is it? And I asked one of the people about uh, one of the guys that was interpreting for us. I said, "What is what is the the biggest challenge to the church in Tanzania right now?" And I was absolutely floored at how candid his response was. This is, this is exactly what he told me. He said, "The the biggest challenge to the Tanzanian church is that the bigger churches are importing the absolute worst that America has to offer." And I, I could not, I did not expect him to have that much understanding. So I asked him, I said, what, ex- what exactly do you mean by that? He said, there are a lot of American pastors who stopped preaching the gospel a long time ago. And they have big churches because they just talk to people about how much God loves them. And they, they, they get money from people and they have these big ministries and these big worship teams. And he says, and the larger churches in Tanzania have begun to imitate that because they think that that's what it means to be blessed of God and i thought that is so profound that he clued into that now his dad is the leader of pefa he's, he's Eli elyraham's son so he sees it all over the all over the nation and and i can i came back every time i go on one of these trips it's like a spiritual reset when you realize that the stuff i complain about is pathetic uh, and the things the things that i worry about are just stupid you know like we we <laughs> I felt like a teenager at one point in time. We get there in the hotel. There's no power and there's no internet. And my first thought was, man. It was a down day. We weren't doing anything that day. I I couldn't do anything. You're you're stuck. like, man, I'm going to have to read my Bible. (laughs) (laughs) The stuff we complain about, the things that we think are important, and then you get to a nation like that, and really, all they want to do is build a brick building that's not air-conditioned, has no fans in it, barely has doors, so that they can gather and just sing. The first Sunday we were there, I almost couldn't... Uh, the, the video you saw was the second Sunday we were there. I'll finish with this, I promise. Um, the, second Sunday, the first Sunday we were there, I almost didn't stay in the meeting because you're, you're immediately convicted when you see people worship like that. You you just are, and I'm not comparing anybody. Don't 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 take me wrong, but I'm 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 there, and it's hot, metal roof, hot. And I'm watching these people, just celebrating. I look over to this side, and the worship leader is crying like I have not seen someone cry in a long time, while he's singing. And he's not crying because people aren't worshiping. He's crying because he's so grateful for the little bit that God gave, gives him in his life. He was also our interpreter. That was Manuel. I handed him more money than he would have made in four months as a regular employee before I left. I saved money for him because God, I believe God spoke to me before as, as we were going that you need to do something profound for this guy's life. He's married he sees his wife a couple times a year because, in a socialist country, she's a teacher. She works on the other side of the country. She only comes home a couple times and there's no school. That's their life. And he's trying to build their house. You know, we look at stuff like that. And all of a sudden, we realize if we don't have power, we don't have church. Right? They wouldn't think of doing something like that. They would find it as an insult to God. It's amazing. Now, granted, we don't have power, we freeze. It's just sort of it's just a, little, a little different here. A little different here, you know. But they, uh, they spend time praying for us. They spend time praying for the American church. And I think it's important that we understand why. They spend time praying for the American church that we would once again find Jesus and do what he's asking us to do because they know that for over a century, the key to bringing the gospel to the rest of the world has been a godly America. And they don't see it anymore. America right now is in the top 10 of the nations receiving missionaries from third world countries. They're desperate for us to come back to Christ. It's amazing. It's humbling when you start thinking about it. So I would, I would ask you to be, be thinking about something. What really are the problems in your life? And what really are the things that you are complaining about and really asking God for? And are we being realistic? I think we need to be realistic. You know, we're so blessed. We're so fortunate that we don't even know it half the time. I think it's time we came back to the point where we began to understand just how fortunate we really are. Amen. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to share in this little journey. Father, I ask that uh, in the future, when more of us can go and be part of these, these types of little spiritual adventures, Father, that our lives would be changed, our perspective would be altered permanently, and it would become something new, something more significant in your service. We thank you for the opportunity, in Jesus' name, amen.